Turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of James, chapter 2. You may have noticed we have a lot of people gone today. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of hard for me because I want everybody to be together, but at the same time, I love the part of our mission statement that says, send the whole. We have our Echo Youth Band leading worship for First Assembly of God today. And of course, that means mamas and daddies and wives and all that. They're all over there uh, worshiping. And then we have a lot of people with um, the VN weekend celebrating with them, serving as well as serving breakfast this morning. And that's a vital part of our mission statement. If you're visiting with us this morning, our mission is simple. Win the lost, disciple the found, mend the broken, and send the whole. And if any of those aren't being done, it's like a four-legged stool that's uneven. We have to evangelize. We have to uh, disciple the ones that are found. And we have to minister healing to the people that are broken. And then we have to send the whole so that the gospel can be preached and other areas can be served. And so it's with great joy that uh, they're ministering today. And we're very proud, especially of the Echo uh, worship team that's over at First Assembly this morning. James chapter 2, if you're there, say amen. Beginning with verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, it is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that without works... Without faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And everybody said, amen. Years ago, a song popularized the statement, friend of God. And we sang it in large cathedrals. We sang it in conferences. We sang it in local churches. We sang it in our car with the windows rolled up, I hope, because some of us are a little off key. I am the friend of God. I am a friend of God. And yes, we are. But when Abraham was called the friend of God, it, had, it was more than just an affinity for God or affections for God or dialogue with God. It was a life surrendered. It was a service rendered. It was a death to self and goals and dreams and pleasures and ideas. It was a lifelong journey that showed that Abraham... His affinity for God was more than just a passing whim or something that he wrote in on the emotion of a worship service outside of his tent. It was relationship. The father of all of us who know faith. There were some parts of his life, of course you take the, the gamut of his life in Genesis, and there's no way to reduce it down to a list. But I want to glean just a few things this morning from his life and show you that they're in your life as well. Abraham's life is a model of the journey of the believer. And the things that God asked of Abraham, he asked for you, from you. The thing that God required from Abraham, he requires from you. And the, the pathway to being a friend of God is... Repetitive yeses to God's request. It's altars where you don't know what the result's going to be. It's stepping out into the unknown, going to a land that God will tell you about later. There's a lot of hills and a lot of valleys. But everyone in this room has the exact same opportunity to be God's friend. And some fall short because somewhere in their history, there's a no. And Christians stop growing. And Christians thwart God's best for them at the last place they told God no. I want to speak to you this morning for just a few moments on the subject of the journey of the believer. 
And as I pray, would you pray for me this morning? Lord, I just humble myself before you and I thank you for this rich opportunity that's mine to preach your word. The grass withereth and the flower falleth away, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. I pray, O Lord, that you would anoint me this morning to speak clearly and directly and with a strong sense of your presence. I confess in front of these people that I have no capacity to help anybody outside of your anointing. Great teacher of God, speak this morning, I pray. Out of the volume of this book, let it be come to life. Let the word of God, uh, the seed of the word, find a willing womb and let it conceive and bring forth fruit, Lord, unto life eternal. And I thank you in advance for it, Father, in Christ's name, amen. In Genesis chapter 12, if you're taking notes, maybe they can put these verses on the screen for you. Uh, again, I'm just, I've just got six or seven little subpoints, but I want you to see what God asked of Abraham. He asked Abraham to separate himself. If you're taking notes, he asked Abraham to separate himself. In Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said unto Abram, Get out of your country and from your kindred and your father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I'm going to make you a great nation and I'll bless you. And I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God saved you like you were. But he loves you too much to leave you like you are. We are to be in this world, not of it. And one of the first things, first things God does when he walks with you and you walk with him, he says, get out of that. That which you were in before I found you. Come out of that way of thinking. Come out of that lifestyle. Don't be confused by these carnal, lukewarm Christians that don't know the difference between good and evil. If you're going to walk with me, we're going to walk differently. You're going to walk out of Ur of the Chaldees. And uh, the Hebrew word where Chaldee comes from means astrology or, or cultic false religion. It said, come out. God doesn't want us to be bound by legalism where man can tell us where to go, where not to go, what to dress, how to, what to, not to wear, uh, what to sing, not to sing. We don't fall into that legalism, but understand this. When God saves you and you walk with him, that's dramatic change. It's drastic change. All those things pass away and you can't walk with God and stay where you were. He said, come on out of that land before you do anything else. First step, separate yourself. Separate yourself from the familiar. Separate yourself from the environment that hinders you in knowing me. It's time to move out of the place that you picked. It's time to move out of the place that your parents picked for you. It's time to move out of the comfortable place, the familiar place, the worldly place, And come to a land that you and I will experience together for the first time. Come out from among them, God says. Be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you unto myself. I'll be your God. Don't be confused. Don't confuse a mental ascent saying, well, I I believe in God. The devil believes in God. And we're not saved by works, but works are the evidence of the salvation that we claim. We know that Abraham believed because when God told him to get out, he got out. There was that first part of faith. I'm very concerned for the Christians that love this world. Love this world. Not just like it, love it. They'll walk out. I'll be preaching. They'll just walk out. Just walk out. You touch their little idol. They'll just walk out. The Bible says if we love this world, then we are the enemy of God. And what it means by world, it means the world system. The world system that uh, deifies man and makes man the focus of the universe. Caters to man. It dilutes the word of God so that man will accept it. We stop preaching truth so people will come into our church and we just dilute it all down. But the Bible clearly says that if you're going to walk with God, you must come out from the world. And and you walk different. You're not the same. And yes, we're all fleshly, and yes, we can all struggle, but there ought to be a a bend, a directional change that says, I'm walking away from this world, and I'm on my way to heaven. I walk to a different drummer. This is not my home. I'm amazed at the Christians 
that are scared to go home. That's confusing to me. It's like the, the idea of, and you know, it's not like you just line up to get lethal injection today because, you know, it's not this horrible, I hate my life, I'm ready to die. Not like that. But the idea that if I were to pass away while I'm preaching, before my feet get cold, I'm going to be with Christ. This is not my home. And that, that's what motivates the person that separates. Well, why wouldn't I separate? This is not my home. I'm looking for a new city whose builder and maker is God. And I'm going to be recognized by God. And what God asked of Abraham, he's asking of you. Stop living there. Come out. Be different. Be different. Be holy, which means altogether separate. When the Lord says he was holy, it didn't mean that pure. Although God is pure, it means altogether separate. I am holy. I am altogether separate from you in this world. My ways aren't like your ways. I'm not like you. You're not like me. I'm different. But then he says, be ye holy. Well, how do I do that? Come out. And some of us have yet to come out from the land of the Ur Chaldees. That's why there is little to no intimacy between us and God. And there's a whole lot of form and very little power because you can't live in Ur and be all that God's called you to be. He asked us to separate ourselves. Number two, he asked us to lift up our eyes. Genesis 13, 14 and 15. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot was separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward, southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, to you will I give it and your seed forever. God saying, lift up your eyes. There is way more to your life than what you've seen so far. And if you keep looking down, you're going to stumble across the baser things of this world. And my plans for you are not found looking down. My plans for you are found when you lift, 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 lift your eyes up. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from which cometh my help. God's plans, God's dreams. He told Abraham, he said, look up, lift up your eyes. Look past your history, Abram. I know you were godless, but that's, those days are over. Look past your present difficulties. He and Lot had already had tension because God had blessed them so much that there wasn't enough grass for all their herds of, of cattle and sheep. And Abram, sitting in my notes, but let me just, this is just so beautiful. Abram said, look, there's no reason for strife to come between me and you. You pick. You take whatever land you want and I'll take what's left. Most Christians I know fight for and maneuver for and position. You better look out for number one and you, 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 you don't let nobody get nothing over on you. And here's Abram, father of the faithful, says, oh, you pick. Think about it. You pick. And Lot chose the well-watered plain of Sodom. It was like the Garden of Eden, well-watered. Abraham's thinking, you can pick because what's mine, nobody can have. You pick. You do what you're going to do because I trust the Lord to do for me what he's going to do. I'm not looking at what looks well watered here. I'm looking past my present circumstances unto the hills of God's intentions and purposes. And I know that no matter what you do, you can't affect what God has for me. And I'm going to believe for it. Some of us need to close our eyes today. Sometimes you see better with your eyes closed. Close your eyes to this present circumstances and the difficulty in relationships and they're not being enough. Let the world pick and let God pick for you. Lift up, mine eye, lift up your eyes, the Lord says. Look past what you've lost. Look past that lost relationship. Look, look past that lost opportunity, even if they pick the best, you do understand God can make mo best. You do understand that. So he got the well-watered garden of Eden, Sodom. Yeah, that grass was real green over there because it was over the septic tank. Be careful. Don't pick. The older I get, and I wasn't this way when I was young. I was pastoring a church and I wasn't this way. But where I am today, you pick for me, daddy. 
Because you see what I don't see. You know what I don't know. And let them steal. Let them scam. Let them take. Let them cheat. Because in the end, you can't take anything from me God wants me to have. And if there's not enough, he'll make some more. He'll make some more. Look beyond where you are, who you are, and what you've known. Look with new eyes, Abram. Look with faith-filled eyes. Look with eyes that have an eternal perspective. Listen to this. God said, look east, west, north, south. Don't look down. Look up. And everything you see. Now, not, he didn't walk into a land and claim it. When he was there, God showed it to him. He said, I'm going to give it to you and your seed forever. We just went from a temporal blessing to an eternal blessing. Lot got Sodom and Gomorrah. That was a great deal <laughs> for just a few years. And see, God's telling you, if you'll lift up your gaze, you'll stop fighting for the bubble wrap of this world and open the gift that God has for you that's forever and forever and forever. Eternal treasures are for you and your seed forever. The heritage I leave my baby girls are forever and forever. I cannot control the economic, my, the economic society that I'm in. I can't control. I can work hard. I can't control that. I can't pick the city. I can't pick the area. But I can choose eternal treasures. Lift up your eyes. Stop looking here. Stop choosing here. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where there are no thieves and the, the moths and the rust is not there to corrupt and tear up. Throw your riches into the next world. Lift up your eyes. Stop living for today. Young people, I know when you're 17, 18, 19, all you can see is today, but it don't get no better when you're 20. 25. All you can see is today and I just need to get married. I just need to get married. Need to get married. All we need is our first house. We need our first house. Got your first house. All we need is some children. You get your children and then you're in the 30s and you go, you know. <laughs> and you get in your 40s and you've been over a little bit saying, you know. <laughs> and then it dawns on you that the only thing we have is what's on the other side. Lift up your eyes. Get it off this world. And what I meant by the bubble wrap, it's like, you, you, you know, at Christmas, we got our babies that, you know, they're uh, 19 months old now and they were a year, little over a year at Christmas. And you got the little gifts and they open it up and you got this electronic something that costs 90 bucks and they're in the floor with a bubble wrap. That's, there's a present right over here. And they, they got the wrapping paper and they're walking around the house with the wrapping paper like this. You may not believe it, but I'm preaching the truth to you anyway. Look, car me and you drive, wrapping paper. That house that you had to have, wrapping paper. Even earthly relationships, bubble wrap and wrapping paper. Only eternal treasures are eternal treasures. So while I drive my car and I thank the Lord for it every day, thank you, Lord, I got a car that cranks because I've had... One for years that didn't. Thank you, Lord, for my nice house. This isn't what my life is about because my life does not consist of the things that I possess. My life consists of the one that possesses me. That's the riches. That's the riches. Number three, he asked us to search out his will, search out his intentions, his desires for us. Genesis 13, 17 and 18. Abraham, arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto you. And then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built an altar unto the Lord. He said, Abram, it's not enough just to be in the land. I want you to walk the length of it, the breadth of it. Cover every square mile of Canaan. That's a job. I don't know how long it took him. I've not read of a commentator that said, but weeks, months? Walk it out. So for you, wh wh why would God record this? It's not for history. He said, I want you to walk through the promises, the, the revealed will, my revealed will for you in the word of God. Walk the length of it and the width of it and the breadth of it and make you, sure you understand not only the expectations I have for you, but the promises I've made to you. 
the things I want to do for you. Canaan land was not a type of heaven. You know, you hear people saying, Beulah land, I, my home, I can't wait to be in Beulah land. There ain't no giants in heaven. Canaan is not heaven. Canaan is what is promised here for you in, in this life. And you have to fight giants every step of the way. Do I have any witnesses in here? You have to fight giants to come into God's intentions and purposes of your life. But how can you walk into something you don't know is there? Not only walk out of Ur, that which hinders you, but walk into what God has purposed. There's a lot of Christians I know that walked out of what they came out of, but never walked into what God had for them. And they just live in limbo land. Some Christians never walk out and others walk out, but don't walk out if you're not going to walk into. It's not just saved from Egypt, but what did you save me for? Egypt was not enough. The wilderness was just enough. Canaan was more than enough. And God doesn't want us to die in Egypt, and he doesn't want us to die in the wilderness. He wants us to come into what he has for us. And this is not a prosperity gospel. What I'm telling you is where the Christian closes the door to his secret place and says, I only want what you want from me. Nothing more. Nothing more. Not one thing more. I don't want to live one extra day than what you want me to live, but I want everything you want to happen in my life. I want to know your will. I want to walk it out. Christ Chapel is part of me walking it out for these 20 years now. Walk it out. The length of it, the breadth of it. Make sure you spy out all of the land. Walk slowly, Abraham. It says through the land. Walk attentively. Pay attention to these promises. When you read the word in the morning or in the evening, Say to yourself, that's me he's talking to. Pay attention to it. Walk believingly. Walk purposefully. It says when God gave him this commandment to walk through the land, he picked up his tent and moved. He said, God is serious about this. I don't want to just walk through it. Watch. He broke down his tent, put it on his back, got all of his family together. Said, We're not just going to walk through it. We're going to live in it. Do you see? I don't want to just visit it. Here would be the example where you read, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you decide by yourself over a cup of coffee at your dining room table, I'm to have joy. Me. It's my strength. It's mine. Bible tells me to trust in the Lord. How can I worry and trust in the Lord? I'm walking out of worry and I'm going to come into trust and I don't need you to agree with me. I don't need your help. It's a decision I've made to walk through the promises of God and to inherit them. And fear is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit and I'm not going to have any more of it. And you walk out and you walk through and you move. You live in whatever it is that you're reading. Whether it's joy or whether it's peace or whether it's fruitfulness. I remember as a young man, and you know, the older you get, you remember a lot. Does anybody else? You remember a lot. It's like you keep thinking backwards. I remember when I told the Lord in prayer, I said, I want to be effectively faithful. Not just faithful. I want to be effectively faithful. That's hard. It's hard to occupy the promised land because there's so much opposition and you have to be diligent to search it out and to live there, to visit there. See, we love going to crusades and conferences. And when I was growing up, they had revival services. And they, Sunday to Wednesday or Sunday to Friday. And the preacher would preach on something and they'd lay hands on you. And I have no problem with nobody laying hands on me as long as they're good hands. And they'd pray for you. And, you know, have it. It's yours. And it was never mine. Just... And I'm not making light, but in Jesus' name, go. It's yours. Take it. Mine come with the fight. And see, that was popularized because that didn't cost you nothing. It's double portion night. Well, what about healing? Well, that's tomorrow night. All right, so you come tomorrow night. And him say, be healed in Jesus' name. You go, ooh, that was easy. Thank the Lord. Now, can God do that? Absolutely. But do you know what? More than, more than that, my common experience is when I see that he's the Lord that heals me, you walk it out. You walk it out. You wake up, you're not well, you ask him again to heal you because he's the Lord, your healer, and you walk it out and you do what you got to do. And it takes struggle. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent people take it by force. 
Walk it out. Live there. It's, see, we liked, when I was a young man and they have revival services, they like to visit there because it don't cost you nothing to visit. But to move in, oh, it cost you something. It cost you something to say, not only did I move out of Ur, I ain't never coming back. And your friends go, oh, look at you. Now you're just all holy. Look at you, Jesus. you just Jesus. Oh, you're judging us. And I said, no, I'm not judging you. I'm judging me. Because if I stay there, I'm going to live just like you are. And I ain't got the strength to live there, so I'm gone. And, you don't, and for the new believers, listen to me. You don't have to give them two weeks notice. You just move. You just move. They say, where are you? I ain't seen you in a long time. Yeah, you won't be seeing me no more either. I remember I had a good friend of mine named Jim when I told him of my conversion. I told him I was going to be a preacher. He tapped the bar stool at the fraternity house. He goes, six months, you'll be right back on this stool. 25 years later, he's still waiting. <laughs> and you got the same story. I can't, I can't live there and live there. I didn't want to visit church. I wanted to dwell in the tabernacle of the Lord forever. Forever. Why? Because better is one day in the presence of the Lord, in the temple of the Lord, than thousands elsewhere. Walk decisively. It said he dwelt in the plain of memory. And walk worshipfully. He built an altar of the Lord. He built an altar unto the Lord. Listen carefully to what your pastor is telling you, especially my new believers. You cannot worship fully in Ur, and you cannot worship fully in limbo. You can worship, but not fully. There's something about residence. Well, I don't have a church home. I just kind of, you know, where the Lord takes me, I just, I just kind of. It's like the boy in high school saying, I, I, I don't really have someone. I just date them all. I just date them all. You come to my house, I'm going to beat you halfway up the street. It's wonderful to worship in all different types of churches and to go celebrate our friends. But we have homes where we're committed to a spouse. We have church homes where we're committed to a local body of believers. And it stems from a decision that says, I'm not going to visit I'm going to live. Do you, know we're, do you know we're sharing our lives together? Do you know that we're sharing our lives together? When the deal's done, and if I go home before you, I hope that you realize that the gift to this house was not preaching or teaching, is that we shared our lives together. We live together. We raise our babies here. We worship here. We serve here. And Abram knew to worship, to build the altar fully. It couldn't be the traveling circus show. He said, this is where I'm going to worship the Lord. And I'm not saying that our church is the best church. I'm saying it's mine. And this is where I worship. And this is a small type of of my heavenly home. Number four, he asked us to believe. Genesis 17, verse two. And I'll make a covenant between me and you and I'll multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall your name anymore be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made you. And I'll make you exceedingly fruitful, and I'll make nations of you, and kings shall come out of you. You're like, whoa, 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 that is. First of all, my name's Abram, which means father. And my parents misnamed me because I'm not a father. I've never had any children. God's saying, you're right. You, they've been calling you by the wrong name all your life, but not for the reason you think. Abram, meaning father, you're not that. You're a father of a multitude. Some of you, got, you have been called by the wrong name all your life. Not in the negative, but to the positive. God was speaking to Abraham and he said, not only are you not just a father, and not only are you the father of a nation, a multitude, but kings are going to come out of your dead body. Kings. 
It's amazing to think that the life that God has for us is bigger than the life we have today. Always bigger. It's not, all, it's not without sorrow and it's not without pain. But most of the Christians I know shoot the, the, the arrow and then go draw the bullseye around it and go, look, we hit it. But God asks you to step out on nothing. God tells you things that are impossible. Where he said, Abraham, kings are going to come from you. I, I can't even have a child. I can't even produce one kings, Abraham. And see, to walk with God, he's asking you to come out. He's asking you to be separate. He's asking you to grow up and these things. But look, he's saying, to walk with me, you've got to believe, man. When I tell you these things, you've got to believe. When you're believing for your healing, you got to believe. When you're believing for your ministry, you have to believe. When you're believing for your wayward child, you have to believe. You cannot walk with God and not believe because he's going to drop promises on you that just stagger you. Long before we brought our girls home, Kelly, what would you say? Six or seven people told us through dream or whatever. They go, did y'all know y'all are getting twins? I'm not making this stuff up. I'm going, huh? Yeah, I just had a dream. Twins. And people say, I'm praying with you about the babies, but wouldn't it be something if you had twins? I'm like, why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep saying twins? Because I was asking for one. And he said, I'm going to give you twice what you think you want. Listen, my wife tagged it. It's the truth. It's the greatest thing I never knew I wanted. But you, you can't just hear something like that and go, oh, that, that can't happen. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And many of us have shut up the womb of God's promises because we said, oh, that'll never happen. And God writes it down and says, what did he say? That'll never happen. All right. He asked you to believe because you're in covenant with him. Abraham believed and responded in humility. He fell on his face while God talked with him. Oh, that's a sure sign that you're on the right pathway. When God starts talking to you and you fall. Not backward, forward. Humble yourself. When the Lord starts telling you, I'm going to do this thing for you. And you go, could it be? And Abraham began to laugh. See, Sarah laughed at God. And Abraham laughed with God. How do you know? Because God didn't rebuke Abraham. Abraham's like, I'm going to have a boy. <laughs> have you seen the old lady? God, I'm going to have a boy. How can this happen? Sarah's over saying, have you seen the old man? How's this going to happen? But Abraham says, only God could do, oh, I'm going to have a boy. And he began to laugh out loud. You can't walk with God and not believe. You got to believe because God spoke it. He will surely bring it to pass. He is not a man that he should repent. And he does not change his mind. If he spoke it, he will do it. And if he promised it, he will bring it to pass. Believe. And as you believe, speak. Well, I've believed for stuff, pastor. And I spoke it and it didn't happen. I know, me too. And I cannot be responsible for results. And life doesn't always happen like you think it should or like you think it would or like you believe it. And I, I don't have answers for you, but I can tell you this. See, I don't have answers there, but I can tell you this for a fact. You cannot walk with God and not believe. You have to believe. That's one of the things he asked him. Believe with me. Believe with me. Oh, don't get to heaven and realize all that God had for you here for his glory. And I'm not talking about possessions. Influence, position, where your life is a commercial for the glory of God. You can walk in your house and go up to a, a thing called a thermostat. Now we got them where you talk to them and everything and Put your thumb up on it and all that. I don't have one of them. I got one you just do the little button. It can be hot in that house. And I just bump, me and Kelly will say, just bump it one degree. Why? What happens when you bump it one degree? Y'all are just staring at me. Doesn't yours come on? Like if it's 72 and you set on 72 and you go down one degree, what happens? And you can just feel it. I like, the, I like the vents. I don't like them on the floor. My feet don't need it. My head needs it. I like it to come down on my head and part your hair. I like it to blow. Don't grieve. Tell them we don't want it. 
We want it to vroom, like an attic fan pull on. And this is what I submit to you. If by the push of a button, just one button, and change the temperature in your home, what would happen in your life if you pushed the right button? If you stood out on nothing and said, I can't answer for mama and I can't answer for daddy. I can't even speak for my spouse, but I believe you. And when Abraham believed God, God counted it unto him as righteousness. You got to believe, baby. You, you can't be double-minded anymore. The hour is spent. Day is at hand. You, you can't waffle between unbelief. How long halt ye between opinions? If God be God, serve him and believe him. John, it's hard. It's a long I know. If victory was easy, everyone would have it. We got to believe the Lord. We've got to believe the Lord. Stand on the Lord's side, proclaim what God says, and leave the results up to him. My fight is up to me, but my fate is up to God. All I can do on my end is believe. And Abram fell on his face while God talked to him. He believed that God had plans for him. He believed that God was working on the plans and he believed that God's plans would happen. He asked Abraham to believe. He asked him to mature. If you're taking notes, number five, Genesis 17, one. And when Abram was 90 years old, 90 and nine, I'm sorry, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And if you read that just on the surface, you went, well, that rules me out. Walk before me and be thou perfect. But that Hebrew word means this, upright, entire, complete. Or you could say mature. If you're going to walk with God, he's going to tell you, all right, I put up with that for a while because you're brand new in the Lord. You're an infant. You're brand new in me. But we're done with that. That's foolishness. We're done with you trying to live your high school years and you in your 40s grow up. It's time to be a daddy, not your child's friend. It's time for you to be a, a father, grow up. It's time for you to stop visiting. They say, well, 40 is the new 20. No, it ain't. It's the same 40. You don't need to be wearing your daughter's clothes. Grow up. You don't. If you need a shoehorn to get in it, you don't need that. Stop. Hey, do you ever look around and think we as Christians need to grow up? We need to put merit on the things that are meritous. We need to, we need to grow up in our speech. We need to grow up in our attire. We need to grow up in our words. We need to grow up in our goals. We need to grow up in the way we do business. We need to mature. God said to Abram, if you're going to walk with me, you got to grow up. Walk before me, before me, and be thou perfect, without blemish, upright. Let's mature. Come on. Paul said, when I was a child, I act like a child, I spake like a child, and I did childish things. But now it's time to grow up and stop doing those same things over again and mature. And I want to tell you this, I've learned the hard way. Growing old don't mean you grow up. I can grow old without trying. But growing up costs you. Growing up costs the believer. And Abram didn't get out of his race without God saying, it's time to mature. It's time to mature. Number six, and I only have seven, by the way. We're almost there. It's time to make permanent consecration. If you're taking notes, it's time to make permanent consecration. Genesis 17, 9, and God said to Abraham, you shall keep my covenant, you and all of your seed after you. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and the seed after you. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And we're primarily adults here or middle school here. But circumcision of a male is in his private area. You cut away that foreskin and then it's stitched under, which makes it then become the most sensitive part of his body. And the Bible speaks of us as believers having circumcised hearts where we cut back the skin off our heart, where the slightest wind, the slightest movement, and the same way a male is the most sensitive there. Our heart is sensitive toward the Lord. 
There's a, there's a place, listen, you do it. Oh, Lord, consecrate me. He said, no, consecrate yourself. Deep consecration. Listen to this. Deep change. When Abram was this old and he cut himself. Painful change. Messy change. Misunderstood change where people say, that's just ridiculous. That's unnecessary. That's the cry of this generation. When you try to live holy or different or upright, they go, oh, that's ridiculous. God is love. Stop it. But God said, if you're going to walk with me, there's got to be deep consecration. It's time to make a permanent change that shows up. You can't hide these scars of, of loss and lack and pain. This type of change where you consecrate yourself to God, it doesn't heal quickly. It sets you apart from others. But let me tell you what consecration does. It makes you sensitive. I can tell how a Christian is by how hard or how sensitive they are to the Lord. I got guys in here telling me, said, I don't know what it is about this place. I see Eric. It's so good to have him home with us today. He's been gone a long time in Alaska. He'd sit on this back row when he first come here. He goes, oh, I don't know what y'all do, what this place is about. I don't know, understand all this. <laughs> and he just cry. And he goes, no, seriously, I ain't cried in 16 years. I don't know what's wrong with me. This is, and his heart was just being ripped open. But he was the first guy at that time with bad back and everything, he just hobbled to the altar and kneeled down and he would just rip those things out and a sensitivity comes. And God said, if you're going to walk with me, we're going to have to do this and redo it. And redo it. There has to be deep consecration. And you do it. See, if the preacher did it, he won't do it correctly. Depending on his legalistic slant, he may ask of you more than God wanted. That's why you don't let other people consecrate you. You consecrate you unto God. You say, this is what I want to do for the Lord. This is what I want to give to the Lord. This is my sacrifice. This is my worship. This is my ministry unto you. And it's unto the Lord and it's not tainted by the opinions of other people. And finally, it's time to surrender everything. Genesis 22, 1 through 2. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, which means tested him. And he said to Abraham, he called out to him, and Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and get into the land of Moriah and offer him for as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. Lisa, if you would come please to the piano. So this full life of walking with God all these different things God required of him. And then he comes to his boy. His first son. His firstborn. The miracle. The promised child. And God says to him. Not just can I have him. Kill him. And burn him. I preached from this passage for a long time. And now that I have little girls, it has a whole new meaning. Kill them and burn them. And Abraham said, yes, Lord. Notice he didn't ask him this in the beginning. Notice the progression. Bear with me just a minute. Separate. Lift up your eyes. Walk it out. Believe, mature, consecrate yourself. And when he's done all those things, he says, Abraham, will you give me your most precious thing? The enjoyed thing. The fulfilling thing. The beloved thing. The dearest thing. And the irreplaceable thing. This kind of surrender was uncommon. He was the first. This surrender made no sense. This surrender was immediate. It was without question or complaint. 
And this surrender was worshipful. Abraham saddled up the mule and put the firewood, the rope, the knife, the flint to make fire. And he's walking with his little boy. And he told his servants, he said, the boy and I go yonder to worship. Just that. Out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. He goes, worship. And somewhere on that journey, that little boy looked up at him and said, Daddy, I see the wood. And I see the fire and the rope. Where's the sacrifice? And in his soul, he's thinking, you're it. And the carnal side of him thinking, you're, you're, you're the, the animal. <laughs> you're what's going to die. The spiritual side of him said, God will provide a sacrifice. See, he, he's growing up. Do you see now? He's seeing past. You see how it comes back? God said, lift up your eyes. Look past all of this. Look past what I'm asking you because I'm not going to just take something from you to take something. I'm doing something, Abraham. I'm doing something. And he said, God will provide a sacrifice. And so they walk up. He ties his boy to this altar. Did his boy say anything? Probably. Do I got just a minute? Just can I? Okay. If the Lord doesn't heal my back, I'm going to have to have back surgery. And the surgery does not bother me. I'm, the re I'm not worried about that. I'm not going to be able to pick up my little girls. Do you understand? That is it for me. When we had the bug and little Isabel goes, Daddy, Daddy, and I, I just can't even pick her up. It's just give me six hours. Give me four hours. And I'm telling Kelly, is it time? Can I pick her up? She goes, yes. And I'm like, oh, come here. So what if his little boy is tied up on there and he gives him that look like, Daddy, Daddy, what do you do? I'll tell you what he did. He raised the knife and God spoke from heaven and said, No! And he looked and there was a, a, a ram caught in the thicket and he untied his boy and he put the ram and he killed the ram. And God said, you wouldn't withhold anything from me. You are my friend. And in your journey with the Lord, we're all at different places, visiting different things. And I said all of that to tell you this. God is too loving to be unkind. But he's serious about this walk with him. He's not going to let us just put an ichthus on our car and skit on down the road. He's going to ask things of us. you got to walk through some deep places. You're going to bury some things like Jacob buried Rachel on the way to Ephrata. This wife he worked 14 years for on the way to fruitfulness. He buried her. He had to, he had to go on. You're going to lose some things. And it's not always going to be easy. But God doesn't take from you without giving. And he said, you are going to give me your son. I will give you my righteousness. <laughs> Imagine the skin of the Lord Jesus. And him saying, I clothe you with the skin of the Lord Jesus. That's who we are. And this journey we're on, this is serious. This isn't a figment of our imagination. We're not living up to a moral code. This is a walk with the Lord. And on the journey, he's going to ask some stuff of you. So what's he asking of you? The answer is either yes or no. And at every place we say no, we die. A part of us dies. And every place we say yes, no matter how difficult, what he has for us will transcend anything you thought he would take from you. Sometimes Isaac dies. But in the resurrection, everything you lost comes back. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. I don't know where you are in your journey. But if the Lord is asking of you, 
as your pastor, I just submit to you, it's time, man. It's time. With no one looking around, just an uplifted hand, which means I'm responding to the Word of God, and I'll work this out with the Lord in my prayer closet. He's asking me to separate myself. Just put your hand up and hold it for a few seconds. He's asking me to come separate. Okay? He's asking me to lift up my eyes past what I'm looking at. and Look, look higher. Look further. He's asking me to search out his intentions. I know they're there, but I've not been serious about walking through the land, the length, the breadth, the depth of it. I want to know what God has for me and search it out. He's asking me to believe, and I don't think I have the capacity to believe, but I need to believe anyway. And so I'm going to believe the Lord, even if the promise is staggering. He's asking me to mature. I've been childish long enough. Where are you? Just slip your hand up and put it back down. He's asking me to grow up. He's asking me to make permanent consecration. It's time to make a bloody change, a deep change, change that others may not understand. He's asking me for my irreplaceable thing. The hardest thing he could ask of me. God sees you. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me read this to you and then I'll dismiss you this morning. And because Abraham believed, Abraham's works proved his faith. And because he answered yes to these questions that God gave him, God declared him righteous. And because he answered yes, he became God's friend. And see, you can't be God's friend without being God's follower. He became God's friend. And because he answered yes, God instituted a covenant with him. An eternal covenant. And because he answered yes and he believed, his life was filled with laughter. And because he answered yes, he became irrevocably blessed. Generation after generation after generation. Till time ends, he is blessed and his seed after him. And because he answered yes, he and God walked together as friends. I speak over you a willingness and a, and a desire to walk wholeheartedly with the Lord and before the Lord. And may all that God's promised you and all that He plans for you, may it come to pass. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray this. Amen. God bless you. See you tonight at 5 o'clock for prayer. God bless you.